welcome to episode 70 of Fish Across the Pond, Marlin's UK podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt. And for this episode, it's going to be the first of four NLDS preview pods. Yes, four preview pods. Where else to start? The Godfather, Danny Martinez in the house. Danny, how are we? I am good. I think most Marlins fans are probably really good right now, but excited to be here with you. Excited to be, I guess, hitting leadoff of the first four. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have this conversation. Absolutely. Great to have you back. This, this conversation, I would describe it, is ahead of schedule. Um, we, we spoke in July. We were thinking, yep, you know, we'll go into the off-season, maybe pre-season, whatever it is, we'll have the, the part three uh, conversation. But we've had to accelerate things because these Marlins, oh boy, this has been one hell of a story this year. Um, Danny, how, if you can, how would you summarize the 2020 Marlins? I think that they've, they've done such a good job of doing it themselves, right? The why not us and the riding the waves. Um, I think like the clinician in me says resilient, right? Mm-hmm. This is a resilient bunch. Um, before we even started the season, you and I spoke about it and other people on Twitter spoke about it. Like it felt like a team that could overachieve. It felt like a 2003 team, like a 2000 for me, more specifically, 2008, 2009 team. And that's what we're seeing. But who would have thought, who would have thunk it, right? We, we lose the kids to COVID. We lose a bunch of actual starters, not even just kids to COVID. We have a bunch of scrappy, resilient players coming in. They come back and what, they start off to a seven and one start. Then we lose other players to injuries. There's more replacements. No one's giving them a shot, right? Everyone says that's just 10 games. It's just 30 games. It's just 40 games. It's just 60 games. Oh, it's just the wild card round. And now here we are in the NLDS. I I would say it's resilient ahead of schedule Marlins. Perfect summary. Perfect summary. We're down to, you look at it now, we're down to eight teams remaining of 30, obviously. Um, We're down to eight. In your view, are the Marlins one of the best eight teams this year? <sighs> this year? Sure. I mean, that's what, that's what they are, right? They, they've made it here. And there's a million and a half different caveats that you and I can discuss, right? My least favorite being like run differential that everyone uses to minimize the Marlins mm-hmm. or the shortened season or whatever the case is. But at the end of the day, there are eight teams that are left. And for those that would say something to the extent of, oh, well, it's also an extended, you know, expanded playoff format. Well, the Marlins would have been tied for the last spot in a regular playoff format anyway. Uh, They deserve it. Now, whether this is an indicator of what's coming is a different conversation. But right now, with this staff, with the young arms, with the veterans that we'll talk about playing and performing, absolutely, they are one of the best eight. And that's why they're here. Yep. And... and we're kind of going, I guess, latest. We'll go, we'll go backwards a little bit, surely. But rolling into Chicago, mate, a, a three-game series, rolling into Chicago. And for me, just pretty much dominate. They handled the Cubs. Mm-hmm. They handled them well. I mean, did you expect that? <laughs> no. <laughs> if I'm being honest. <laughs> if I'm being honest, no. You know, not, not at the way that they played them. I think that... If someone would have, you know, put a lot of money on the line, I think they would have won a game in the series. 
They could have seen them getting to game three and then Lester being his playoff Lester self and kind of kicking us out. That's probably, if you would have had me before the wild card round, that's probably what my projection would have been. Mm-hmm. So to go from that to them winning, but not even needing three games, heck, not even needing three runs. You know, they, they could have won with just three runs this entire, uh, this entire series. That is absurd and that is crazy to me. And I felt like I was on cloud nine. But again, it's the Marlins overperforming, coming together, being resilient when no one gives them a shot, kind of punching the other team in the throat. And that's what we saw. And it started on the mound. Yeah, those, those guys. I mean, the, the beauty as well. Pablo Lopez not even required. You know, Pablo just sitting there waiting in the wings. You know, game three, no problem. I'm ready to rock and roll. Not required. I, what did you, again, you know, it's easy to look back in hindsight, but... Sandy had to start right, but going sixto game two, what was the thoughts from your perspective on that one? I think if they had the luxury of playing it game by game, then that would have been a beautiful setup to go. If you win, then you go with sixto. If you lose, you go to Pablo. Now I'm not sure that Stoudemire or Donnie are going to play that game. You know, I think they probably want Sandy or sixto to know that he's going the next day and that Pablo's going the third day. So I don't think that's the game that would have been played. But once Sandy does win that first start, then yeah, you, you, you throw your young but possibly volatile flamethrower to game two. And then if you really need Pablo in game three, you have him there. Um, so I think they took a risk because I think that it was scheduled without thinking about whether they won or not, but it just ended up working perfectly for them. In a year where things have been very imperfect for them, this series was just so nice, so comforting, um, and so rewarding. Oh, Sixto Sanchez. I mean, when I was listening back to when we last spoke preseason, you know, we're talking and we're going to get a look at Sixto. Oh boy, for me, the dude, he is everything and more than I'd expected. What about you? He's just been incredible, right? Absolutely incredible. He is, he's what we really needed as an organization. Yeah. Because I think people, if we're being honest, we're just getting burned out of our hitting prospects coming up and not performing, right? And I think that something that needs to be added there, they didn't, they didn't perform with the bat, right? Most of our prospects performed on the fielding and with base running and that was fine, but most fans are just gonna look at the bat and it wasn't there. Well, Sixto gave us the bonafide, you know, gold chip prospect. He gave us the immediate results. And, and quite frankly, not just Sixto too, because we, we're, gonna, we're gonna have a lot of time to talk about Sixto, but, Roger's first few starts, um, he got into some trouble with his third, but even then there were some different things that happened that were outside of his control. Braxton Garrett, even someone like Castaño, that might be the 15th best pitcher in his farm system, they, they came up and they performed. And the reason that we are in the playoffs is because of those young arms that they developed and that they brought in. So Sixto special, man. Sixto gives you that Jose Fernandez feeling, which is almost taboo to say, but it's just the truth. He is a special, special 22, because we should remember that age, 22-year-old who just shut down the Chicago freaking Cubs. Insane. Insane. But you're so right for the Marlins now to have this guy. Like, I don't think there's a more exciting pitcher that I've seen. Um, And it's huge. It's huge Mm -hmm. for the Marlins to... And the funny thing is, as well, the, 
the Phillies are in absolute meltdown too, right? Because they they obviously haven't made the playoffs. They should have done, but they haven't. Um, Riamuto's not been re-signed. I mean, they've backed themselves into a terrible corner now with with Riamuto and you know Sixto's coming out just looking like an absolute stud and everything for the Phillies is just not looking good. <laughs> like he's, mm-hmm. he's really not helped them. Um, but, oh, wow, I, I've just been completely blown away by Sixto. But some of those guys you mentioned, mate, I must say, for, for me in particular, Dan Castano, I, if there's one guy that symbolizes the 2020 Marlins, for me, it's Dan Castano. And I, mm-hmm. I never thought I would say that sentence, um, <laughs> if I'm honest. But, I mean, all we had after, after the COVID breakout, we basically had Pablo, Eliezer, who, who did well too, and then obviously got hurt separately. But we had Pablo, Eliezer, and then we had, that was it. Nothing mm-hmm. else really. But Dan, the man, for me, really stood up and continued to stand up, even in the final game of the year, right? And uh in Yankee mm-hmm. Stadium, goes out and gets his first win. What a stud and what a story. I mean, it kind of reminds me a bit of the, the Yamamoto thing last year where uh-huh. repelled in, did well. Hope he can kick on from it. What about you? What's your view on Dan? I mean, it's, it's, it's a fringe prospect, right, not to be disrespectful, who mm-hmm. came up and melded with that clubhouse culture and performed, right? I mean, just it is what it is. No one would have thought of, Castaño, as, as I said, as even a top 15 prospect with, with the Marlins, maybe not even a top 15 arm, but it's his, and that's why you're right on the money saying that he's kind of the resemblance of the Marlins or the best metaphor for the Marlins. It's the prospects like him that allowed for us to get into the playoffs because they stepped up when no one expected them to. Very similar to someone like uh, Umberto Mejia, which then, of course, now, because he performs, he puts something on tape for scouts, can be added to that Caleb Smith trade for Starling Marte, right? Mm-hmm. Similar to other individuals that came up like an Eddie Alvarez, that yes, when you look back, you know, to the to the stats on his baseball card, it's not gonna, it's not gonna, you know, blow you away. But people that sat and watched every game, as you do, know that Eddie Alvarez's input and value led to the team winning. This is this is what the Marlins are about, man. The Marlins, even their top players get kind of shoo-shooed from the national media. So you know what, if we're going to have players that no one even expected to perform and come up, that's precisely what Dan Castano did. That's precisely what Mejia did and Alvarez and so forth and so on. And again, I'm going to keep repeating it for those of us that don't believe it. That's why we're in the NLDS. Listen, there's something you mentioned there that I I really want to get into. This Starling Marte trade, it was a blockbuster. For me, it was the blockbuster on mm-hmm. deadline day itself anyway, or at, right at the deadline. Um, I mean, incredible job from Mike. I mean, Mike Hill, all year, he's, he, he, he could never have been busier than these three months. He, he can't have been. And to piece things together through the COVID situation was incredible. But equally, to be buying at the deadline and to buy Starling Marte, absolutely incredible. Incredible chip. And straight away, he arrives in and delivers big time. What's the view on Stalin for you, mate? I mean, he hit the home run in his first game here, right? He hit, I think, the eighth inning go-ahead home run. And you're not wrong in saying that it's the blockbuster of the deadline. He was absolutely the best hitter traded at the deadline, Mm -hmm. without any sort of doubt. And the only other real hitter that, that, at least at the time of that trade, 
uh, people were talking about was Jonathan VR, who has regressed greatly when he went over to the Jays. Um, Marte was, I think, a, a steal to a certain extent, right? Again, you had to include Humberto Mejia, who I think has a nice ceiling, um, but was really just kind of a patchwork pitcher for this year, at least. And then Caleb Smith, who's given you issues with the home run ball, with the flyout rate, it, it, to get Starling Marte for that and to get him next year too, right? This isn't a rental. Bruce Sherman's going to pick up that option. He's going to be here next year, um, hopefully for another playoff contending team. Mike Hill and Donnie Baseball are both in the running for the best of their positions this year. Honestly, best GM of the year and best manager of the year. And I think the Marlins are absolutely the best story of the year. And Starling Marte is a big part of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just on VR, interesting, um, interesting player. What, what was your take on him? I mean, I, I didn't see much of him when he, after he was traded away, but for me, you know, he was just toolsy, I'll describe it as, he, but seemingly headshot. Like, I, I just, I didn't know what to expect from, from Jonathan VR. I kind of went into the season expecting, I think, a bit more. I was a little bit, looking back on it, I think I was a little bit disappointed with, with Jonathan VR. What about you? Same. You know, this is someone who's coming off of a four-win season mm. um, with the O's, someone that had much more power in his profile than performed, which could happen with Marlins Park, but even away. And the issue here was in a shortened season, I think mistakes get highlighted at a much larger rate. And he just made too many of them. You know, there was too many fielding difficulties or plays that should be routine that were all of a sudden very difficult for him to complete. There was a bunch of base running gaps and being picked off at the worst time. It, it felt without me knowing anything at all from that clubhouse, it felt like an outlier in the clubhouse. Mm. You know, you see this culture that Jeter's building, you see this, this really, this, this um, accountability and responsibility and play the game with fun and excitement, but the right way on the field when it comes to value. And that wasn't happening with him. So quite frankly, I, I was very happy that they sold off. They got, you know, Mr. Mr. Marlon's son, Griffin Conine, who mm -hmm. gets overshadowed for who he is. But this guy automatically has the most raw power of any Marlins prospect in our system. Wow. They get a good deal there. And, and they basically replace VR's bat, which again, slumped heavily with the Jays, with Starling Marte, who played very well and was probably the best bat down the line. Um, of the season. So again, a beautiful deadline. I was frustrated with VR, but you know what? They dealt with it at the deadline and they added where they needed to. Yeah, I, I, I'd love the addition of, of Marte. Just, you know, the center field position, it's so critical anyway. And we'd been, it was a bit of a revolving door. You know, we, we went out into the season, is VR going to play there? Then COVID hit. Actually, first couple of games, VR, I think, made a huge error. Um, like mm -hmm. a routine fly in the first game or two. Second game, it must have been. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I was thinking, right, okay, is this going to work? Then you've got, you know, Monte's up. And Monte just, he's found the role right now. He's found his role and he's perfect for that role in many ways. But, you know, it, it, it just didn't happen for him offensively as, you know, as a starter. So, mm -hmm. you know, Birdie's in there, Brintz is in there. I mean, everyone's in there. So, Marte for me was just a huge addition. Huge addition, particularly because he's got the option at an affordable Marlins. I mean, 
it's the same kind of rate as we're paying VR, I think. So, you know, the money wasn't a problem, but it was an affordable number for the Marlins, but what a player. And I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd like it if people stopped throwing at him, that'd be nice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's taken one off, one off the peak of the, the helmet, then off the hand, broke his hand. So not sure how much he's going to factor into this um, NLDS. We'll get into that shortly, but um, what a pickup. Mike Hill, I've said it many times in this podcast, uh, no one's done a better job. No one has. And, and Donnie, the same. Those dudes, hands down, they're miles ahead of everyone else for getting the Marlins here with everyone, everything we've dealt with. So a couple of uh, little nuggets that's cropped up as well. And again, it goes back to you know the type of team we are. But, but Fran Savelli, yesterday I saw, announced, announced his retirement from, from playing anyway. I'm, I'm intrigued to see if he, he carries on in a coaching capacity in any sort of sense. But for me, Fran Savelli was, he was absolutely critical to the early part of the Marlins season. Um, what about you? What, did you? what do you like from Franny? Yeah, I mean, he's a leader, right? That's, that's his reputation, uh, aside from his on-field value, which he has had very solid on-field value throughout his career, and even this year with the Marlins, but he's a leader. Um, you need that from a catching position. You need someone who's going to be able to be vocal, and you saw it often with young pitchers that were making their debuts after the COVID outbreak, whether it was Castaño, whether it was Mejia, whomever else the case might be. Cervelli would kind of calm them down. You'd see it through the broadcast every once in a while because of the camera angle. He would kind of stand up for a second or give him a motion or even just speak through his mask. You need that leader. Um, I hope to God that he becomes a coach in some capacity. And I would love for it to be with the Marlins, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, he's someone that uh, a young catching individual like a George Alfaro, which is why it was great that Cervelli was here this year, would benefit from, right? We're kind of seeing that now where Chad Wallach is the starter because he handles the staff with leadership. He's great at receiving. He's great at framing. He knows how to call a game, right? The mental aspect of being the backstop. And if we're being honest, Alfie really hasn't shown that, at least this year and last year. You would think that Cervelli, that kind of influence would be able to be there for Alfaro. So the same way he could be there for Alfaro, I'm sure he could lead an entire roster of 25, 26, 28 men. And I really hope that at some point, even if it's just in a catching capacity, someone with his attitude and his personality and his kindness and his just genius for the game does get into coaching. But I, I, um, you know, I give him the best with, with everything that was happening with the concussions. I even tweeted out that it'd be a shame if it ended like this, but mm-hmm. that he has to make that decision for himself. Uh, Donnie had some quote to the extent of baseball you know, is, is a part of life, but life is what matters. Yeah. So I wish, I wish, you know, I wish Chevelli the best. I hope to see him in a Marlins uniform coaching, but whatever he does, I'm sure he's going to do very well. Yeah, me too. I, he was a big part of, of just everything that was going on. And, and you're right. When I think there's a few key things I think of for this season with Savelli, one of them in particular, there was a pitch. I've no idea who was pitching, but he literally had his finger pointed on the floor, on the plate to say, land the ball there. I don't know who was pitching. We'll be able to go back and find it after. And lo and behold, whoever it was delivered, it landed exactly in that spot, struck whoever it was out. Top moment. And as well, I think there was a big moment in Buffalo, I want to say, where he hit a big home run late doors. One of them, he hit Mm -hmm. it, gave it a fist pump before it was gone out. You know, he knew, um, you know, some top moments from, from Fran, disappointed that it ends with a concussion, but, you know, uh, wish him well and 
hopefully the Marlins find a spot for him because he's had a big impact. But just on, I mean, you know, you keep mentioning people. I keep thinking, yep, yeah, need to ask Danny about this. So, <laughs> Chad Wallach, you know, we roll into the biggest series that the Marlins have had for 17 years, no doubt. And Chad Wallach is catching. He's, he becomes, he, he evolves into this, 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 the starting catcher. How surprised were you that, you know, this is how it's turned out? If you asked me before the season, I'd be a liar right now if I said I even, even thought that he'd be on a playoff roster. Yeah. Or even, even within the organization, right? It's the truth. Because Alvaro still has his bat. Alvaro still has his ceiling. And then, you know, we had Cervelli in the mix, right? So I would have never even thought that Chad Wallach would have been on the roster, let alone starting both games in Chicago. However... I wasn't as surprised when the call was actually made, I think, as some others, because we saw it. And I know, I know you've seen it, too. Wallach calls and fields and receives a very superior game. He, he, just, he just does. Um, and and I, I won't ever pretend to be a Wallach supporter from long ago because I wasn't. Right? I, I, I had no insight into this. I would have never thought that this was going to happen. It bamboozled me as much as anybody else. But I think it's the right call. Mm. I, I, when you have a young starting staff like this, this is what you need. You need a good receiver who's going to be able to, to a certain extent, steal strikes or at least not lose them, which is something sometimes we see with Alfie. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's great to see. And I have no problem if, if he's not giving it offensively, because let's be honest, Alfie wasn't doing that this year either. So if you're going to not really sacrifice much offense, then let's put an elite receiver back there who knows how to call the game. Now, do I think they need to address the catching position this offseason? Sure, but that's something you and I could talk about in the offseason. Uh, Wallach, for now, seems to be that starting guy back there, and it makes all the sense to me with this young staff. I think he's done a great job. And when we strip it back, the Marlins, we're a pitching and defense team, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what this team is about and base running and base running absolutely so you know having that type of catcher to get the best out of our our top pitching for me is essential and you know Alfie with the odd home run now and again it just doesn't outweigh it it doesn't you, you happily take I mean and to be fair to, to, to Wallach it, it, it'd be a disservice not to say that he's actually came up with some big hits in some big spots, which he has mm -hmm. in the past, like, you know, 10 days. So I'm okay with it. And I'm on a, I'm on a Twitter thread with loads of Marlins fans, mainly all based in, in, you know, in the Florida area. I think you may be on it too, Danny, but, you know, these guys will tell you, you know, what they're feeling, right? And they all wanted Wallach to play too. You know, going back to who's going to be the right call, everyone was saying we want Chad Wallach behind the plate. That's an incredible statement to be making. One, again, that I didn't think I'd be making at this time of the year. But here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Wanting Chad Wallach to be behind the plate. <laughs> and what a blessing that we could even debate that. Oh, that we're not already in the offseason talking about bringing in James McCann. And no, we're talking about how Chad Wallach's going to call a great game day one on Tuesday against the Braves and the NLDS. Absolutely. 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 Well, listen. The Marlins face the Braves. For me, it is the ultimate NLDS matchup. I'm, I'm absolutely pumped for this one. Yes, granted, the Braves, good team, no doubt. 
But I, I love this matchup. Um, well, no, I don't love it. I think it's a tough matchup for us, but <laughs> I love, I love how it's going to play out because you know Twitter rivalries are are there. Um, I'm really excited for this one. What about you? I mean, how how do you see us matching up with the Braves anyway? We've obviously had ten games against them this year, which you know is less than we'd have in a normal season, but you know it's a good chunk of the season we've played, so we've had a good look at them. Yeah, and it was it was what a one game difference, right? So they won six, we won four. Yeah, um, yeah it, that's not that's not that crazy. What people are going to remember is, of course, the twenty one, the twenty nine, you know, run game or, or defeat or whatever the case is. But the reality is, is that when you're throwing out Sandy and you're throwing out Sixto and you're throwing out Lopez and you're throwing out Rogers or Sandy in short days rest, you know, you're going to compete. Like it, it's just the reality of the situation. Um, the Braves aren't just a good team; they're a great team. Mm-hmm. I think, and I've said it from the beginning of this rebuild, which I have a fun nugget that I want to throw at you later on to remind me about that. But from the beginning of this rebuild, I've said the next decade is going to come through Atlanta and Miami. And the reason for that was because the Braves are the blueprint of what the Marlins have attempted to duplicate here. And to a certain extent, they've done it well. The reason they've duplicated it is because it's a great blueprint. Mm-hmm. When they have the offense that they've been able to develop internally, then they go and they sign a Marcelo Zuna, right, that leads, leaves the Cardinals and goes with them. And you add to it, last year it was a Donaldson. And then you have this layer of layer of layer of pitching talent. They're not just a good team, they're a great team. Should they be favored? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Are people going to choose them in three games? Most likely. Are people going to not give the Marlins a chance? Great. But they also didn't give them the chance with the Cubs. You know, and all the advanced analytics had the Cubs winning. And the run differential was like a 60-run difference between the Cubs and the Marlins. And then the Marlins came and their pitching staff shut them up. That's the hope, right? The hope is that we're happy we're here. We're well ahead of schedule. We could talk about all the different outliers and things that might change um, moving forward with the team. But when you can throw out that three-headed monster of Sandy, Sixto, and Pablo, you're going to have a chance. So my hope is that we get to four games, five games, right? I think it's going to be an exciting, exciting series. Hard to match up with their offense. We go into it more specifically, but I'm happy it's the Braves. Bring them on. Love it. And what about the expanded, just on a more general topic, how are you enjoying these expanded playoffs this year, you know, with, with the way it's, you know, the 16 teams and the three-game wild cards and the way it's been seeded? How, how are you taking to that? I mean, there was a day that, there was like eight games playing at the same time or within, within like one hour of each other. I think it's great. I, I wouldn't do, I probably wouldn't do 16 teams moving forward, but I don't think I'd go back to 10. I think that the sweet spot is having 12 total teams, 12 total teams, maybe 14 total teams, but I wouldn't want to go all the way back to 10. And I also might not want to make it as gimmicky as the NBA with 16. Um, so I think there's like a sweet spot where you can go there. You know, I'm, I'm going to sound like an old person here, but no, I don't think a team that was never over 500 like the Milwaukee Brewers should be in the playoffs. I don't, right? And that happened this year because of 16. Now, if it was 14, if it was 12, everyone would have been 500 or over. So I, I, think that's, I think that's what we have to do. I think we need to expand, but I think we also need to keep that competitive integrity of it. Um, again, sounding like such an old geezer pointing at the stars here, but I, I think we need some compromise there. 
but for this year, it's great. For this year, it's fantastic. I'm excited with it. Um, and again, it's led to some pretty exciting days and some pretty exciting matchups. It has, and, and it has not just for the Marlins fan base. I think this is the thing that is, I think it's the biggest win. I, I look at the fan, ba the fan bases that I engage with across the UK and, you know, I guess broadening that, but so many guys have just been in it. Everyone has felt it. Everyone's pushing. Everyone feels like they have a chance. And for me, that is, that's a good thing for baseball. Like, like having half the teams done by halfway through the season, all that happens is people shut off. They don't bother. They'll watch something else. Mm -hmm. Because why, why bother? Apart from the diehards, right? And that's not good mm -hmm. for anyone. I, I've, I personally, okay, the Marlins perhaps have benefited. Like you said, in normal uh, structures, playoff formats, we'd have been right there anyway. So it's a bit of a moot point for us. But, you know, for other guys, maybe further down, um, they felt in it too. And I think, that's, I think that's a good thing. More teams in, interested. And listen, you're right on the Brewers. The Brewers, they weren't a good team this year. And they were never above 500. And for that... They snuck in and went to, you know, had to play the Dodgers and got spanked in two games. So mm -hmm. no harm, no foul, right? <laughs> yep, they, they, got, they got their consequence anyway. And just because you bring up the Brewers, so the little nugget that I have, let me throw it at you very quickly here, Definitely. okay? So this is, this is Danny being as petty as Danny can be, all right? Here's the information, and you probably saw this on my Twitter feed. So this is post-rebuild, right? So this is only talking about the rebuild. The Marlins won a playoff series before Riamuto and the Phillies did. The Marlins have won as many playoff series as Yelich has with the Brewers. The Marlins have won as many playoff series as Ozuna did with the Cardinals. And then if we're talking about D. Gordon, he never even made the playoffs with the Mariners. And then the only outlier to that, of course, is Stanton, who we could talk about health injuries and actually being valuable on field. But what do you think about that little nugget? I think I was bought into the, the rebuild anyway. And so I, I think that the Marlins have got the better end of the stick in all but one of the trades, I think. You know, it's, it's only the Yelich one that anyone, in my opinion, can point to now. And Yelich kicked on for one year. He's regressed a bit now. And so, you know, it, we'll, we'll see. Uh, maybe it was two years. I, I'm, I'm losing track of time, to be fair. But listen, yeah. No, no, but even, and even with that, now he finds himself, unfortunately, again, regardless of what happened, he was probably always going to be traded, even if he didn't publicly demand it. And again, this is fully me being petty. But he finds himself in a worse situation than the Marlins. <laughs> like, if you choose the Brewers or the Marlins right now, one has an elite farm system, one has the worst farm system. One has above average to better pitching prospects and young arms already at the major league level, one has one solid pitcher at the major league level. One has depth, one doesn't. But hey, they have the MVP. Like that's, 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 that's what the Marlins were before this rebuild. They no know. pitching, no farm, but they had an MVP, which got them what? Nothing. Below 500, the same way that the Brewers were. That's, that's petty Danny, but that's also what's made this year very satisfactory is that you're starting to see people that didn't realize why their rebuild was done and didn't like the rebuild in the beginning, start to see the fruit. Because it's not basketball. You don't just need LeBron. You need a full 25-man roster. 
And that's why the Marlins are in the playoffs. Because of guys like Castaño, because of guys like Mejia, not just because of someone like a Yelich. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I tell you the difference. The difference is, I mean, the Marlins have, have had many, many rebuilds. And I think that's half the battle is they've had multiple builds over the years and some of them have been terrible. The difference this time, the guys pulling the strings know what they're doing. You know, and they, they're shit hot. There's just no, no way you, know, you can get away from that. The guy, I, I look at all the, decision, the different decisions that have been made. I struggle to find one that, that I disagree with, even with hindsight. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to tip your cap to these guys. They're, they're doing an incredible job building it. The thing I'd be interested at, Danny, and this, I'd like to get your take on this, actually, is, you know, listen, we had, you know, the way things went playoff-wise, we were, we were in Chicago. But going down the stretch in Marlins Park, we had some, a long homestand there. How packed would Marlins Park have been, do you think? I mean, there was a weekend game with 6-0 on the mound, and it meant something for the Marlins. Would it have been packed? I think so. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not sure. I know you'd have been there. I, oh, for sure, for sure. Um, but I really think it would have at least gotten, and for some fan base, they'll scoff at this number, I think it would have gone over 25,000, and it probably would have gone over 30,000. So if we remember, last year the Marlins had one game, like, at 26,000. Okay. And it was a great game. I think it was maybe like her, you know, University of Miami night. So there's a bunch of students there. Um, I was there as it was, it was a blast. And that was it. Phillies, right? It was one of the two. Correct. I believe so. Um, this year down the stretch, I would have fully expected that to be a multiple night occurrence over the weekends. Right. I'm not unrealistic. And in, in, in Miami, you're not going to go to these games throughout the weekdays. But over the weekends, those Saturday and Sunday and Friday night games, I think we would have gone over 25,000 consistently. And again, it would have been a real 25,000 counted the way that a real ownership group does rather than inflating what was happening before. Um, it, it's, it's, I suppose, the saddening part of this year is I've always wanted to see Marlins Park like that. Mm-hmm. We've only ever gotten that with the World Baseball Classic. Um, I hope COVID has taken some sort of, we've taken some sort of control so that by opening day next year, we can see a sellout because man, this team deserves it. But heck yeah, I, I really think we would have gone around 30,000 at least on the weekends going down the stretch. Yeah, me too. I mean, just the buzz around this team has been insane. And obviously you've had the heat going as well. The heat have been a huge story in, in the NBA too. And, you know, got a bit unlucky now in, uh, in the finals, whatever, with some injuries. But, you know, you know, huge, huge period for, for South Florida sports. It's, it's incredible. Absolutely. And you see it. You see it on, online, right? So Twitter is a little small, little small faction of the world, right? That's always my, my real world interpretation. Like, stop believing everything you see on Twitter. That's not the way the population really is. It's a small faction. But, and you know this because you run an account on there as well, our engagements, our interactions have skyrocketed over this over this amount of time and, and i'm not one to give a flying crap about who engages with me or like the numbers or anything like that mm-hmm. what i do care about looking for that for is the pulse of the fan base you know i, I if people are engaging with me or if people are engaging with you and fish stripes and fish army and, and accounts like that it means that there is a fan base in this location this locale or just in general over the world and i think it was something like ten thousand or fifteen thousand engagements the night that the Marlins clinched like not impressions which is easy to get like actual engagements 
with one account with mine. That shows you that there's a fan base, there's an excitement here. And again, that's just Twitter, one small little faction of it. So yeah, I'm excited for 2021 and to see what that ballpark looks like. Me too. Listen, I've already talked my wife into it. I've said, listen, we're going. Um, she was like, <laughs> what do you mean we're going? I went, listen, we'll take the kids. We're going to do, you know, we'll, we'll combine it with Disney. We'll do something. So they've got something out of it. But I said, but we're doing a weekend series, full weekend series. No doubt it's happening. She just went, oh, okay, well, you Sounds good. <laughs> you tell me when. <laughs> That's right. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, so we've had some announcements today as well regarding the NLDS. We've got the game times. And we do. I, I think it's fair to say there is some discontent across <laughs> the, the... Not the from you. Florida, <laughs> uh, South Florida Twitter, Marlins Twitter, they're not happy with these times. However... European Marlins Twitter is absolutely buzzing. We've got four games in a row at 2 p.m. Eastern, give or take, and which is then 7 p.m. UK. So absolute prime time for the UK. Um, not so much for, for you guys. So, uh, I mean, we need to take a you know, reality check, right? We know what are the teams, what are the matchups there are. There's, there's, you know, some West Coast guys in there and stuff. So, you know, it's always going to be the case and whatever. But how are you going to enjoy the games? How are you going to be able to watch them firstly? I don't even know. You might be working. Oh, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I have tried my hardest to schedule patience for the, this wild card round around the hours of the game. Okay. Like that's just the truth. If my, if my, if my CEO is listening to this, I'm sorry. It's just not the reality of the situation. Right. I don't know that I'll be able to pull that off two weeks in a row. Mm. Uh, but you know, like you said, it is the reality. It is the reality of the situation. There's West coast teams. It's still the Marlins, whether that's fair or not to say, um, but really the West coast part of it here is what kills it for yeah. the South Florida fans. Now, yes, I'm sure that you are very excited. I'm excited for you that you get to watch it. Mm -hmm. I will uh, do my best to sneak out or, I don't know, uh, just have the, the MLB at bat app on my phone or whatever the case is. But, uh, but yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. A lot of not so happy people in Miami and in Atlanta uh, this, this morning when that was released. Yeah. They, they've had it rough too, the Braves. So they, they've also, they've been in the worst mm -hmm. than the Marlins, I think. Yep. So, Even earlier than us. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So it was inevitable, I guess. When, when I was thinking about it logically, I was thinking, right, we've got an all West Coast matchup on our side. So that's 100% going to be late. And we've got four games going a day. No days off. So um, it means someone has to be early. And I thought, it has to be us. It has to be. So, listen, it ain't great for, for the guys over in the States. I get that. Um, but for the UK fans and for me personally, it's going to be awesome. My daughter is fully into baseball now. Fully into it. She texts me well tonight. Well done, sir. <laughs> she texted me tonight. I said, what time, what time are we on on Tuesday? And are the Marlins on? I said, yep, they're on 7 p.m. every night. Um, and she was, she just replied in capital letters, yes, exclamation mark. So happy days. She is now a Marlins fan. We've got two <laughs> Rojas jerseys. We're going to have one of them. We're going to be fully kitted out in Air Rojas uh, for, for Tuesday night. So I like it. Looking forward to that. So 
five game series, uh, or it could go five. The Braves announced uh, the Braves starters, sorry, have been announced today. Uh, I've mm-hmm. seen uh, Max Fried goes uh, game one, no surprise. Uh, I think they followed up with Anderson, so Ian Anderson mm-hmm. and uh, Kyle Wright. Is that right? Correct. Yep, those so are the three. We know those three. We don't know the Marlins guys yet. How, how do you anticipate the the rotation stacking up? Uh, you have to start off with Sandy, right? Yeah. So Sandy Alcantara will take game one. Um, I'm not sure if it'll be Pablo Lopez or if it'll be Sixto Sanchez game two, but whoever doesn't take game two will t- take game three. And my statement is if game four is an elimination game, I wouldn't be surprised if they go on short rest with Sandy again. Um, if game five, which of course game five would be an elimination game, then I almost want to guarantee that they would go short with Sandy. Yeah. You know, so if somehow they get to game four and they could clinch it, but it's not elimination for them, you know, maybe you go with Rogers or you, you piggyback him with Nider and Garrett or you do an opener kind of thing. Or maybe you just go for the throat and go with Sandy anyway. And then if you lose, you go with short rest on whoever took game two for game five. But that's how I would, that's how I would go about it. I'd go Sandy. Probably, I, I would say actually Pablo, but I'm not sure if that little recording that we saw of Pablo throwing a simulation game was done Friday or if it was done the travel day um, on Saturday. But nonetheless, whoever's on rest for game two, whether it's Six or Pablo, whoever doesn't go, then go game three. I have faith in Trevor Rogers. The wild card would be an Eddie Cabrera mm-hmm. sighting that we could talk about that. Um, well, but then after that, short day's rest for Sandy. We don't know. I mean, the roster, this roster hasn't been announced yet for the, for the NLDS. So I think we're still, we will be waiting for that pretty much until Tuesday, I guess. Um, Here's what we know. Orania is out. He was out, obviously, for, for the wild card, too. Um, but that was only a three-game series. So they made decisions there based on max three games. We're going into this one, max five games. Says to me, you need a little bit more pitching, is, is, is my sense. So what's the percentage we see Eddie Cabrera make his debut, his debut for the Marlins in the NLDS? Ah, oh, give me like 40%. Give me like 40%. Um, I, think, I think it'd be very, very, it'd be a tall task to have someone to come in and make their MLB debut against the just absurd Atlanta Braves offense in an LDS. I really do. But a oh, what a good, say it again. It's a tough ask. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. But, oh, it'd make for a fun headline. I mean, this is a kid that people compare to Sixto, right? And, 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 you know, Joe Fasaro and Baseball America and others will get heat on that. But then you see him in spring training and you just see him even throwing a live pen and you realize, oh, wow, this really might be someone I can compare to Sixto. He's going to be very good. Very good. Now, is that good enough, especially coming off some of the concerns and health concerns that have kind of delayed his debut to start against the Braves or to even come in as a pen roll? I don't know. But I'd love to see him added nonetheless, even if it's just as a threat or a chance or an opportunity to have him come out of the pen. You know, he's special, similar to Max Meyer, someone who probably is ready right away at that young age to at least perform on the mound as a reliever. If for whatever reason they have confidence in him and they want to throw him out there as an opener, then so be it. But I'm going to go conservative. I'm going to go 40%, but oh, I'm so rooting for that other 60. 
<laughs> I, I'm really intrigued because the, the thing about the Marlins, back end rotate, um, back end bullpen, sorry, the dudes for me have been awesome. Kinsler, <laughs> particularly in the last few weeks, Kintz has been incredible. Incredible. And then, you know, Yimi, who's been incredible all the way, Boxberg has been great. Blyer, if it's, if it's a lefty on the mound, forget it. Blyer's mm -hmm. got it. And then Hoyt. Oh, Lord, Hoyt. <laughs> you, um, you have him in there. If there's a fire, send him in. So these dudes, Correct. these five. He's the cleaner. A bit, they hit the cleaner, the mop. I mean, there's been so many nicknames flying around for, for Hoyt. But the one, the one thing for the Marlins though, that we have struggled with is, is the long relief. Uh, aspect and that's where these games these mm -hmm. blowouts have got out of hand you know where we just haven't got innings and outs where the, the start has been blown that's why I'm really intrigued I think listen get Eddie in there get him on the right you know if something goes awry first couple of innings with someone you want Eddie Cabrera in there don't you yeah. absolutely Absolutely, because what we've seen, number one, is what you said. These, these run differential games have come from us putting in someone there that just, if we're being honest, is a sacrificial lamb. Yeah. Please save us from using the other arms. If you get imploded for 10 runs, so be it, but go ahead. Great. There's a place for that in a long season. There is not a place for that in the NLDS. No. In the NLDS, you need to put out the fire and you need to maintain it because we could come back. And funny enough, you know, that kind of happened initially in that huge blowout against the Braves. Mm -hmm. Like, if, if I believe it was Yamamoto that was in there, if he hadn't given up those nine runs, the Marlins scored nine runs themselves. On most days, that's a nice touchdown and a safety. For that day, it was garbage time points and runs because the Braves had imploded for 20-something. In the NLDS, you can't have that. So, I agree. I, I, I do. We don't have necessarily the long relief options right now that could be a Braxton Garrett if we really are pushed to or a Trevor Rogers if they're going to use that bullet before you know the next game start or whatever the case is but yeah bring up an Eddie if he's healthy he is one of the top 10 I'll be conservative most talented pitchers in your entire organization so this is including Sandy and Sixto and the good pen arms you want that type of talent in the NLDS going against the Atlanta Braves so Yes, conservative, that's just who I am going to be in predicting this, but I would so love to be wrong there and see his name added to that roster. I think they do it. I think they go for it. I mean, why not? I mean, the thing is as well with these, it's a five-game, you know, best of five, right? And how it goes in game one and two, it completely changes your strategy. Like you were talking to earlier about the starters, you know, if you win a couple – you know, then you'll, you'll just go in sequence. But if you're up against it, and the Braves will be the same too. If they're up against it, I mean, you th they, they want Freed back on the mound rapid. They'll have Freed out, you know, after two days rest because, you know, they need him. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah, you're not going to go into a game four or a game three. And with all due respect to someone who's going to be a very good pitcher in Trevor Rogers or whomever the case might be there, mm -hmm. you're not going to lose your season on that. No. You're just not. You know, you're going to go and you're going to face the best that you can in the NLDS because, you know, at worst, they, that, player, that, that pitcher has to make another maybe two or three starts for this season, right? So just go for it. As long as, you're not, as long as you're maintaining arm health, go for it. And the same will happen with the Braves, like you said. 
let's say that we do go up 2-0. I don't know. Are they really going to trust Wright? Like, they might. But then you're definitely, if they pull that off, they're def- you're definitely going to see free the next game. So, yeah, this is the time to be aggressive. And it's, ma- it's purposeful. You have to manage that. You can't burn the bullpen. And like you mentioned, you have to be nuanced, very tactical with how you're lining up these pitchers. Yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how it goes. Listen, uh, I, I wanted to get your take on this too. So we're going to look at the specific areas of each team. I want you to give, give a sense of Marlins or Braves. So I'll run through. Just give me a snap reaction. I, I think I know which way you'll go, but I won't lead the witness. So we'll start. Okay, sounds good. We'll start off with the lineup. Marlins or Braves? All right, that's the Braves, handsomely. Uh, yeah. yeah. Rotation. That's the Marlins. There you go. Bullpen? <laughs> this will be the surprise. I'm still going with the Marlins here. Yeah, interesting. That, that is a surprise because the Braves' bullpen has been, has been good. It's been year. very good. And their back end have the names. The Marlins have had the performance. Yep. And that's why I think right now I'm going to go with the Braves and that, re- I mean, the Marlins. And that really is a toss-up at the end of the day. But just for fun, I'm going with the Marlins there. Love it. Defense. That's tough, Pete. <laughs> because I want to, again, go with the Marlins. But there is quite a lot of talent and glove work up the middle with the Braves. But you know what? I'm still going with the Marlins. Okay. I've only got one more area to ask you, and I think that's already 3-1, but the final one is manager or management. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to make it 4-1, but let me clarify something. (laughs) But let me clarify something, Pete. Let me clarify something. And I'm being honest here. I'm not just trying to cover myself. The separation between the one, I think, outweighs the separation between the four. Yeah. I think that the, the other four that the Marlins might have the competitive edge on, they have it by a yard. Where the Braves are better, they have it by half the field. And that's, that's what'll be tough, you know? That's why if we're looking at projections, yeah, I mean, it's still probably the Braves in five. It's still probably the Braves in four because of that lineup and because of the youth of the Marlins. However, it changes very quickly. If that, the Marlins really pitch the way that they can, they absolutely have a chance in this, in, this, in this series. Not many people will give it to them, but if the Marlins pitch the way that they can, and if the blueprint of the wild card series against the Cubs where the vets swang the, swung the bat well, the Marlins will take this to four, will take this to five, and can win and face off against the Padres or the Dodgers. So if you're a Braves fan listening to this, don't do the mistake that the Chicago Cubs fans did and think that this will be easy for you it won't but man that offense is special Pete that offense on the Braves is special it's dangerous isn't it I mean there's, there's one thing I must say the Cubs having spoke to some of the Cubs guys pre-series the Cubs knew they were gonna they knew they were struggling I could sense it uh, having you know had one of the guys on the podcast he knew it he knew it was gonna be tight he said primarily our big players were not playing well and pitches are going to go well. It's going to be tight. He was correct. And their offense didn't deliver. That is not going to be true for the Braves. Those Braves are going to come into this, wait, you know, they're going to be expecting to steamroll the Marlins, I think. I think they know it's going to be close. But I think they'll expect the win. And 
perhaps rightly so. The lineup is just, it's just filthy. Do you know what it is? They've got the core. They've had the core for a while, right? We've seen them. But then they've layered on three studs that are going just insane with Ozuna. Okay, it's replaced Donaldson from last year, right? He also went insane. But Ozuna's been going insane. Travis Darno, insane. And Duval, insane. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. these are fringe guys that they've brought in that are just delivering huge... I mean, that's the difference maker for the Braves in their lineup is they've got these three dudes on top of their core that was already insane. So Yep, and that, that's the 50 fun. yards. Like, that's, that's the 50-yard difference there. Because yep. any of those three, what you would call tier two for the Braves um, hitters, are likely the best hitter on the Marlins. It's just the reality of the situation, especially if Marte's pinky finger does not heal enough or is not comfortable enough for him to hit. Like, they, they are too good offensively. And the Marlins are going to, at some point, have an elite staff. But right now, it's still a young, sometimes volatile one. You know, to not expect the Braves, to expect to do to the Braves what we're able to do to the Cubs' very cold bats is probably unrealistic, mm -hmm. which is why we could be the better base running team. We could be the better managed team. We could be the better defensive team. We could have the better starting staff because Soroko's hurt on the Braves end. And still, that offense can put up 10 any single night. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah, they're a tough... It's a tough matchup. That's what I was saying at the, at, at the top, right? I mean, it's a tough matchup for us. I, I'm slightly disappointed that Urania is injured. If I'm honest, I love I love the spice that goes through when uh, when Jose and and Acuna are, are facing off. I'm I'm not convinced Arania would have had a start if I'm completely honest. Um, but nevertheless, I, I will miss that. So, Danny, it's the key question now: How many games does it go, and who prevails? I'm gonna say that it goes five and I'm going to choose the Braves. So I'm going to choose the Braves going five. And again, that's the conservative in me, I suppose, or being conservative, at least when it comes to sports, but it's too much of an offense, I think, to overcome. And God, I hope I'm wrong, right? The reality is that the Marlins are capable and the Marlins can take the series and the Marlins took a series from the Braves um, one of the series, I don't remember if it was at home or away. Like, it's possible. It's possible. With this pitching, anything is possible. But this is still a team that's overperforming, is ahead of schedule, is young, is inconsistent, and is going at an Atlanta Braves lineup that reminds me of the 27 Yankees. Like, they're just so deep. They're just so good. And then they also have guys like Freed and guys like Anderson and even guys like Wright that have given the Marlins trouble. So, I want to say that the Marlins are going to make it respectable. I want to say that they'll get close. I, I just not sure that at this point in the rebuild, at this point, especially with Marte being out, which might be the, the decision there for me. Um, ugh, with that, I still, I still want to give it to the Braves in five. Oh, oh boy. The stress-o-meter is already cranking up for me. Just thinking about it. But I think, that's, I think that's the sensible view. The lineup is so dangerous. But I've said it. I've said it all year, the Braves. I think 
think this rotation, those injuries, those guys that have gone down, I think it's going to hurt them. I think we've got into Ian Anderson a couple of times. Kyle Wright, we can get into. I look at it and go, listen, who do I want? Who do I want on the mound? Do I want Pablo? Do I want Sixto? Or do I want Kyle Wright? Yeah. Absolutely. I want the Marlins boys. I want us boys. I think we can take two of the first three. I think we can. Sandy for me. Listen, we haven't spoken much about Sandy. One thing to mention for me, the confidence is absolutely oozing from the dude. Like you've never seen. Incredible. Sandy is out there with sound bites in the media like, I'm going to take you down, pretty much. You know, mm-hmm. you, you're not going to touch me. I and mean, before the game, not after, game. like you hear from some pitchers, before the game, they're going to have to hit my stuff. I'm going to throw it right at them. Let's see if they're better than me. And they haven't been. Incredible. I mean, he's going to be rolling there feeling, feeling pumped. And also with Sandy, you know, like you, like you mentioned earlier, he's going to roll in there pumped and he's going to be rolling in there ready to pitch two of the five, I think. And we'll see. As he says, we'll see what happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's going to be an awesome series if we get through. If we do, it's either the Padres or the Dodgers. If you had to choose one of them, who would you take? Uh, I want the Padres just because I want the young rebuild versus the young rebuild. Yeah. I, I just do. And from an on-field perspective, if Clevenger is out for the, for the rest of the postseason, if Danielson is out for the rest of the postseason – they're struggling, right? Chris Paddock has also not been very good. It, it, that's, that's probably the, your easier path to the grand, beautiful World Series than the Dodgers. Now, if you're talking about headlines, non-personal headlines, like national headlines, oh man, Miami versus LA, what a better way to tell everyone to shut up and believe in you than to take it to the Dodgers, you know? If you take it to the Padres, oh, that's cute. It's a rebuilding team. If you take it to the Dodgers, there's no bigger punch to the face than that. So I don't know. From an on-field perspective, ah, probably the Padres. From a personal, oh, I love rebuilds, probably the Padres. From a, I'm tired of everyone not realizing what the Marlins have built and what they're going to be, I want the Dodgers. That would be awesome. I mean, there would be, in my opinion, if the Marlins prevail after all of this and – for me, there's, there's just no chance of anyone looking back to say, well, I didn't mean, you know, there was an asterisk uh, season. If the Marlins take down the Braves, the Dodgers, and, I don't know, one of the four guys that are left, let's say the Rays or the Yankees or whoever, in, insane. Insane. Mm-hmm. I mean... Absolutely. Oof. Absolutely. And hopefully, hopefully by now, and the excuses are already rolling down my mentions and yours as well, but by now, people are starting to realize. Because you don't just go to Wrigleyville and sweep the Cubs. It's no. not just a fluke, right? And it wasn't like fluky games either. No, no, no. The Marlins pitching staff dominated the Chicago Cubs, right? The Marlins pitching staff got their way into the playoffs. And the Marlins pitching staff is not going anywhere. And the hitters that are here aren't going anywhere. Like, they're, they're controlled, and they'll be here next year, too. So I think anyone that has some baseball nuance – knows that the Marlins are here and that they're going to continue to compete. And we're seeing that in the national media. If you're one of the fans that thinks, nah, this is a fluke, you're going to learn that it isn't. But yeah, if you could beat the Braves, then everyone's going to realize what's happening in South Florida. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Danny, there's only one place we can finish this podcast. And that place is for me to ask you your 
favourite or most iconic moment of the season? Because there's been a lot of images coming out of the, the Martinez household, I think, uh, the past couple of, <laughs> couple of months. So for you, buddy, what's been the most iconic image for the 2020 Marlins? Yeah, so definitely a lot of love to to Emily, my wife. She's been doing a, you know uh, drawings and, and digital drawings of the Marlins, and you know putting together at least trying to do one for almost every win that they've had, an iconic moment. Um, so a lot of love to her. I, even Fox Sports Florida gave her a nice little shout out and a nice little uh, um, segment there on that. So that was really cool to see. I think mine uh, is actually something that just came out, and you know, hint or, or no hint, she might be working on this one too, right? It's the photo of Brinson and Harrison and Rojas and Aguiar and Marte smoking cigars on Wrigley Field after they won, right? And aside from the fact that it's one of the just coldest, coolest little photos that you're ever going to see a baseball team take, it is the fact that every person in that photo was either acquired or extended by the current regime. Miguel Rojas was extended, wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. Louis Brinson and Monta Harrison, of course, were in the trades with Christian Delich. Jesus Aguiar was acquired after he was let go, basically, by, by first the Brewers and then the Rays. And then Starling Marte was acquired in this, in this deadline. That, to me, is a testament of who the Marlins are. The fact that we finally have ownership and management that understands how to build a team that those players led by that captain are smoking cigars on Wrigley Field after sweeping the Chicago freaking Cubs in October. That is the image that I think as a Marlins fan, I still can't even believe is true and I have to recheck every once in a while to really know that that's what we're experiencing in 2020. Danny Martinez, it's been an absolute pleasure. There is nowhere else for me to go apart from leaving this podcast with that final statement from you buddy incredible guys that's episode 70 in the books danny martinez the godfather back in the house thank you so much my man great to talk we'll be back very very soon with our second of four nlds preview pods keep it locked in fish across the pond coming back very very soon thanks guys 